Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We're in the middle of a fascinating and wonderful section of 1 Corinthians. Now, in the last couple of lessons, we've studied the spiritual gifts that every believer in Christ Jesus is given by the Holy Spirit to maintain the unity of the church, even in diversity. Each member has a special gift, and yet all are to work together as a body with many members. That was in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, we learn that in addition to our gifts, we should practice love a more excellent way. Now, as we arrive at 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul begins by saying, pursue love, what we talked about last time, and then desire spiritual gifts. So how do they actually fit together? That's the question. And that's what we're going to learn about today. So get ready and get your Bibles open. And as you do that, I want to share a great letter from the Bible bus. This is from a listener of Through the Bible in Thailand. She writes, Thank you so very much for sending me the lessons from the book of Isaiah so that I can understand and know the love of God much more than before. I first believed in God from being a Buddhist eight years ago, but I was like a lamb who did not have a shepherd, and so I fell away for many years. But I thank the Lord that I discovered this Through the Bible program in that time, which brought me back. Recently, I met a church leader who clarified the gospel to me. I listened carefully, and now I know that I am truly born again. I want to continue studying the Bible and to be joined to the Lord in the same way as the branches are attached to the vine. Well, isn't that a great letter? It's really affirming that the Bible's message is global and it's able to discern the depths of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for guiding us into truth. We ask this for ourselves and the millions who are listening alongside around the world. Show us now, Lord, the depths of your word as we give ourselves to study it. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now here's our study of 1 Corinthians 14 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We come back now to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter at verse 2. Actually, we just got our foot in the door of this chapter. Now what we have in this section here concerning spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, we saw the endowment of gifts. And gifts were given to maintain the unity of the church in a diversity, each one having a separate gift, then all together could function as the body function with its many members. The eye just can't do what the ear does, and the ear can't do what the eye does, and each must function in his own way. Now, we are put in by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and we put in to exercise a gift. Now, Paul says, as he came to the end of chapter 12, covet earnestly the best gifts, but he says, I show you a more excellent way, and that is by love. Chapter 13 is on the subject of love. And then he concluded that by saying, the greatest of these is love and follow after love. Now, he says, this is the way Follow right on in it, and then, he says, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Now, he says, you should want spiritual gifts. It'd be, I think, unusual if a Christian didn't. You're to desire spiritual gifts, but here it's spiritualities. Desire the things that are spiritual, but that ye may prophesy. Now, he says that you may speak. The Word of God, speak it simply, speak it intelligently. That is the thing. Now, you see, what he's done is this. He makes a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's more important than the gifts of the Spirit, actually. When someone came to me, and I think a very sincere person, and says, Dr. McGee, I'm going to pray that you receive the gift of the Spirit. And I said, fine, I appreciate your interest, but pray rather that I may have not the gift, but I may have the fruit of the Spirit. I wish I could see more fruit of the Spirit in the lives of believers and in myself than to see all this business of gifts today, and especially of tongues. I like to see more love. That is the thing that is important, and that's actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit of God can produce fruit in our lives. Now, we are told here, therefore, but rather that you should prophesy. Now, actually, what Paul's trying to do is to get the Corinthians off of this kick of tongues. What he's saying to them in this whole section is, cool it, brethren. Don't go off into fanaticism or go off into this emotional binge that you're on. Now he says, hold this thing in right proportion. And he said in 1 Corinthians 13 eight, there be tongues, what did he say? They shall cease or they shall stop. And that's just like that word stop that is at the highway when I come up to it in my car. And that traffic officer, he told me that S-T-O-P means stop. And I'm afraid a great many folk do not understand what Paul is saying here. Paul says, well, there be tongues, they're going to stop. And it was Dr. Robertson who made the statement, tongues seem to have ceased first of all the gifts. Chrysostom made this statement. He says this whole passage is very obscure, but the obscurity arises from our ignorance of the facts described, which, though familiar to those to whom the apostle wrote, have ceased to occur. That is the need for the things that are mentioned here. Now, it's quite interesting, and we should have this in mind as we enter this chapter. Jesus never spoke in tongues. The apostles, after Pentecost, did not speak in tongues. There is actually no historical record of Paul speaking in tongues, although he acknowledges that he spoke in tongues. Here in verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And it was not an unknown tongue. I did not realize the importance of this and the import of it until I was in Turkey. And I want to say to you that when I was in these seven churches, and Paul obviously preached in all of them, and then you go way out into the interior of Turkey, into Anatolia, and you recognize that all the way from Tarsus, his hometown, he had walked across that section hundreds of miles, and there was tribe after tribe. They had a different tongue. And I often wondered, how in the world did Paul speak to them? Just as they spoke, my friend, on the day of Pentecost, every man heard them speaking in his own tongue. And Paul says, if you want tongues... He says, go out on the mission field and start speaking in the language of these people. Now, today, God has raised up certain organizations like Wycliffe, and there are other organizations that are translating the Bible into all of these tongues today. And that, my friend, is the greatest tongues movement that I know anything about. Now, Paul was caught up to the third heaven. He tells us he heard unspeakable words. Now, I don't think there were unknown words, 
They were just words that he was not permitted to speak. Tongues are not a rapturous, ecstatic, mysterious language. It's not a mixed-up medley of rhapsody. Tongues were a foreign language, as it was on the day of Pentecost. That is our guideline, of course. Now, we have the extension here of the love chapter. Follow after love. Desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in not an unknown, that's in italics. Let's leave it out. For he that speaketh in a tongue, speaketh not unto man, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, nobody there will understand him, and he therefore is not to speak in an unknown tongue. That is, he's not to do that unless there's somebody there that can interpret. And we'll see that in just a moment. There'd have to be somebody there to interpret. Now, what we have here is this emphasis that he puts on actually three gifts in this chapter. Prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Have you ever noticed that there's very little reference in the Bible to tongues except in these three chapters we have here? On the day of Pentecost, we know what that was, each man speaking in the tongue that was understood. It was also in the home of Cornelius, and that's in the 10th of Acts, and also in the 19th of Acts when Paul arrived in Ephesus. And we find, therefore, that tongues actually was the institution of the dispensation of grace. Every time it was used, was used in that connection. You have the day of Pentecost, when it went to the nation Israel, the home of Cornelius, the opening of the gospel to the Gentile. Then in Ephesus, you see it moving out to the world. And so we have these three instances. Now, will you notice, he says, For he that speaketh in the tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, because no man understandeth. Howbeit, in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries, that is, he doesn't understand it, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto man to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, Paul's emphasizing the gift of prophecy. He said, don't go in for the unknown thing that you delight in, and they were delighting in it in Corinth. He said, when you are speaking or teaching the Word of God, that's for edification and for comfort and for exhortation. Now, he says, he that speaketh in a tongue edifieth himself. He builds up himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. You see, the tongue, if it's just exercise for the individual, it's a selfish sort of a gift. But when you prophesy or teach, you're edifying the church. Now, he says, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. Now, the important thing is not a tongues meeting, but a Bible study. That's more important. Paul says that. For greater is he that prophesieth, that is, teaches the word of God, than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edify. Now, the important thing is, and you don't hear that emphasized today, no one ought to speak in tongue unless there's somebody there to interpret. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. If I don't come making sense, Paul says, what's the use of me coming? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, 
except they'd give a distinction in the sounds. How shall it be known what is piped or harp? Why, actually, I've often thought that I could really be a musician if I could do it with music, what the unknown tongue folk do with the English language, or they don't do with it, I probably should say. Well, I could just toot away on a horn. But even a lifeless instrument like that, it's to have meaning in this world. And he says, verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And today we need a clear-cut presentation of the gospel, friends. That's very important. Now he says, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Paul says, Let's get off this kick. Let's start making sense, if you don't mind. Therefore, he says, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. And you don't want to be a barbarian if you're a missionary. You want to make sense. Even so, ye, for as much as you're zealous of spiritual spiritualities, Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Now, the important thing is, does this edify the church? Does this build up believers? Wherefore, let him that speaketh in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If he can't interpret, then there ought to be somebody else there with that gift. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. And that, my friend, is the answer to those who say, well, this is for private devotions. You don't make sense. Now, don't tell me that you get a spiritual lift out of it. If you do, it's merely psychological. It couldn't be of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that. Your understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what you say? In other words, say something that somebody can say amen to. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than y'all. Now, I think Paul means that he, as a missionary, had spoken in at least a dozen different tongues, and that could probably be multiplied by four or five. Now, he says, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul said, now when I'm out on the mission field, I go to a tribe, I don't understand the language, they don't understand me, I speak in a tongue. I make sense to them, but not to myself. Now, he says, but in the church where they're believers and we understand the same language, I want to speak in a tongue we all understand. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Now, you see, he's rubbing it into the Corinthians again. He says, you're carnal, you're babes in Christ. Now, he says, don't be children. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding... Be men. In the law it's written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now you see, 
He does mean a language that's understood. I'm going to speak to another people in their tongue. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, what he's saying is simply this. He said, when I went out to the mission field and I went in, for instance, to the city, let's say, Antioch of Pisidia, they were speaking a different language. Paul says, I spoke to them in their tongue, and they didn't believe, but when I spoke to them in their tongue, they believed. Now, he says, when I meet here in the land of Israel, I speak in a tongue I know, and everybody else knows. Therefore, I'm prophesying. That is, I'm teaching the Word of God. Now, he says, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? And i let you handle that one, friend. You don't want the outside world to think you're mad. If there's one thing that we need today is intelligence in this world, this scientific world that we live in, in a world today that is majoring in sophistication. We today ought to present a logical, a meaningful message that is understood. Because if we don't, they'll think we're mad. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not unlearned, he's convinced of all, he's judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And in other words, if you preach the word of God and he comes under conviction, he'll be converted. Now, verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, that all things be done unto edify. Now, if you're going to have a tongue, let's have it make sense. Let an interpreter be there, and let it be something that makes sense. A friend of mine, I say he was a friend of mine, he was actually a student of mine. He told me about going to a tongues meeting, and he had been a Roman Catholic, and he knew certain of the ritual in Latin. And he gave part of the mass in Latin and sat down. And another man rose up. He said, I want to interpret. He interpreted. He went on to say this, that, and the other thing. And so this fellow got up, and he says, I just want you to know that that's not what I said. I gave you the Latin mass, and he told him what he had said in it. And before he could finish... The ushers were there, and they hustled him out of the place, told him not to come back. And I don't blame them for that. I think he was wrong in doing that. But the important thing is, the thing has to make sense, you see. If any man speak in a tongue, let it be by two, by the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now, if a man wants to speak in tongues today, because he's going to say up here, forbid not to speak in tongues, and I'm not going to forbid if you want to do it. But you make sure an interpreter is there and make sure the thing makes sense. If it's just a lot of lollipop, then I want to say that it's no good. That's not the way the Spirit of God moves. He makes sense. And if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, if he insists on it, if he wants to have a nice little to-do with himself, why, let him go over to himself. And I'll not object to that either. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. 
Now, evidently, there were prophets in the church in that day that could speak prophecies. The daughters of Agabus, there were others. Well, we don't have them about today. Even the weatherman doesn't do very well in our area about predicting the weather for the future. Verse 31, For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. Now, everyone can have something to say about the Word of God. I've been greatly blessed by statements that certain folk have made in testimony meetings. It blessed my heart. Now, he says, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in the churches of the saints. Now, he says, Let your women keep silence in the churches. Now, what's he talking about? Tongues. He doesn't say a woman's not to speak in church, but she's not to speak in tongues in the church. My friend, if you take the women out of the tongues movement, it would die overnight. Now, you say that's not nice to say. I know it's not nice, but it's true, my friend. For it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. Now, a woman is to speak in church. He doesn't say she's not to. He says she's not to speak in tongues. Now, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husband at home, for it's a shame for a woman to speak in the church, that is, in tongues. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? Now, it came to you, of course. Now, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now, that's the real test. If a man now today says that he's a prophet or he's spiritual, that he can speak in tongues, let him acknowledge now what Paul is saying here is a commandment of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. I won't forbid it, but it must be according to what Paul says here. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Now, he says, covet the best gifts. Evidently, teaching the Word of God is one of the better ones. And I thank God for that. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's a great principle. And my experience has been, I attended in the South, a tongues meetings. And I must confess that I couldn't see any rhyme nor reason in the entire service. It was all... Hopeless confusion wasn't even organized confusion. It was hopeless confusion. Now, Paul says that's not the way that the things of God should be carried on. Now, that brings us to the end of this section. And maybe you're delighted that we're through with this. And I trust if you disagree with me, friends, you'll not fall out with me, but that you'll search this passage. And if I'm wrong, you pray for me. And now we are going to come to the third and the last section of this that has to do with spiritualities. And you know what the greatest spirituality of all is? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our resurrection, if we do not live until the Lord comes, our resurrection at the rapture of Christ. That is the highest spirituality of all. And I wish we could major more in the resurrection. And we'll turn there next time. The gospel. What is the gospel? Paul will make it very clear. So until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved.
If you'd like to listen to these studies again, go to ttb.org. And while you're there, make sure that you get a free copy of Dr. McGee's notes and outlines on First and Second Corinthians. They're available in our digital book, Briefing the Bible, at ttb.org, or we'd love to send a paperback copy as our gift to you. You can request yours at ttb.org forward slash briefing the Bible or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE. ttb.org is also the place that you'll find our popular Bible companion for 1 Corinthians. It's got all the things that you've come to love from our Bible companions, including a terrific synopsis of Dr. McGee's teaching, links to the Bible passage that we're studying, and links to Dr. McGee's full audio study, as well as some great reflections to ponder on your own or with a small group. Download it from ttb.org today and share it with a friend by just sending them the link. At the center of everything that we believe is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without it, our faith would be in vain. Discover why this is true in our next study. If you can, read ahead. 1 Corinthians 15 is the chapter. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time. God bless you as you walk with him today in his word. Our story on the Bible Bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?